0: Welcome to The Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States.
1: Hello and welcome to um, another podcast for The Feathered Desert. This one is on uh, citizen science. One person can make a difference. And I'm Cheryl and I'm going to start us out. It is often said that one person can make a difference. Well, is that really true? Yes, it is in the bird world. Kirsten and I are going to mention at least four different ways that the average person is able to be a part of a much larger picture of bird science. It is important and each person does count. There are organizations that put on annual bird counts. These bird counts depend on those who feed the birds in their backyards for help. Take it away, Kirsten.
0: Absolutely. Uh, this one is close to my heart. Uh, Project Feeder Watch and the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. I have actually been doing Project Feeder Watch for about seven years. So I was very excited when we decided to talk about this. So Cornell Lab of Ornithology is actually located in New York State. This university is responsible for generous amounts of science and data about North Americans' birds that is collected through their citizen science collaborations. So it's all about us. Yes. Project Feeder Watch is just one of several. So what Project Feeder Watch actually is, is literally watching your feeder. And it goes from November to April. And it's a survey of birds that visit your backyard and uh, nature centers, community areas, and other locales in North America. And whether you are here in the US or you're in Canada, they have two separate ones for both of the different North American countries, and you can sign up for wherever you live. You don't even need a feeder, which is nice. Um, All you need is an area with plantings, habitat, water, or food that attracts birds. So you may have a very natural backyard that is attracting birds all the time, comes to the berries to your bushes, whatever is out there. If you have a lot of birds, you can do this. You don't have to put up an actual feeder. The schedule is completely flexible, which I really like. You're only going to count your birds twice a week. It does need to be consecutive days, but it can be any two days that you want. So you put that into your schedule. If you know you have Monday Tuesdays off or you have Sunday Mondays off, make those your two bird days. And totally, it doesn't matter how many times you count a day. You could count once if you want to, or you can count ten times a day. So you can spend thirty minutes doing it, or you can spend an entire hour. You can the entire day. It doesn't matter. Whatever fits into your schedule. And then once you have your information, you can write it down with a pen and paper if you want to. I do put mine into the notes section of my phone. You can use an iPad, whatever you like. You collect it and then you can put your data in when you receive it, either daily if you want to. If you're that kind of person, you want to put it in every single day. Or if you want to do at the end of the month, the end of the week, whatever you like, you can go to the eBird website, which we will talk about what eBird is in just a second. Or there's the projectfeederwatch.org website and you can do that as well. And they will ask you a few questions on the projectfeederwatch.org website about where you are, how many feeders you have up, because they want to know about the environment that's attracting the birds. So what these counts do is they allow the project to track what is happening to birds in neighborhoods around the country. And each person is contributing to a continental data set of bird distribution and abundance so that helps scientists when they are doing population studies or movement studies whatever it is that they're into uh, scientists have access to this information cornell has also created an app for your cell phone or a tablet called merlin bird id and if you guys don't have this one this is an easy easy way to identify the birds in your backyard if you're not sure what that is because it allows you to pick the size of the bird what the bird is doing uh, where you're seeing the bird, and then it gives you three colors that you can pick, and then it'll give you a list of what's most likely in your area. And the reason they were actually able to make this Merlin Bird ID is because of the information that people offered during Project Feeder Watch and eBird. So, thanks to all of you guys that have helped out with that. And for those of you who haven't, race to your window and yes. sign up for Project Feeder Watch. So, eBird we're going to talk about in in just a few moments, but it is another way to input data. And a lot of people, some of you might be familiar with this, a lot of people use it when they go out birding. So, um, uh, sorry, eBird is another way to actually input data for Cornell Labs about the birds you see in your neighborhood, your community park, while hiking or camping, and whatever activity you're doing. And I know that Cheryl, when she goes camping, she uses eBird a lot. It allows you to go to a certain space and say hmm what has been seen here what can i see here oh there's scrub jays here okay i'll keep an eye out for those and i know that it was earlier this year i think uh someone actually posted on ebird in the riparian area in gilbert there was a uh, roseate spoonbill yeah. And I know that Cheryl mentioned it when she came into work one time, and then we were all like, oh my gosh, we all have to run out to the Riperian to see this Rosie at Spoonbill. So that it really helps for those of you that are birders or want to get into it, and you want to see those interesting birds. A lot of people will post that on eBird as well. So to join Project Theater Watch, it is supported entirely by its participants. So there is a contribution of $18 to join and be the Citizen Scientist. But these contributions cover materials that you need, any administrative costs, and without the support of participants, the project just wouldn't be possible. So that $18 is 100% worth it as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: And when you sign up for Project Feeder Watch, they will give you a poster, and it will depend on which section of the country you're in. Here, they're going to give you the most common Western birds on a poster to help you start off with your bird identification. And they will also give you a calendar showing what date it starts, what date it ends. And then that way you can also write on there, oh, these are my days that I want to do. Because they have to be the same days all the time. You can't mix and match your days. but So you want to pick whatever per- days work for you and then stay consistent with that. And you can do that on the calendar that they sent you. And then you also have access to uh, bird identification tips as well um, on the Cornell website. Since you're part of Feeder Watch, there's some resources on there for you as well. And, of course, don't forget that Merlin Bird ID app that they helped uh, make. That makes things so much easier for you.
1: And and, um, in real time, you can identify the bird. I mean, they have 6,000 bird species on there. And right then and there, you can identify the bird instead of having to make a mental picture and go to your book when you get home or... What, what? However, they used exactly. to do it. Yeah.
0: Yes, this one is a real fun one. Like I said, I've done it for the last seven years, Project Feeder Watch, and it is a, a lot more fun. They actually just extended it. It didn't used to be into April, but this last year, they just extended it because so many people were excited about all the migrants that were coming through in April that they wanted to be able to report that. So they actually added two more weeks on to the counting period so that they can get an even better understanding of migration. and. If they're moving up earlier or if they're not and and so it's very interesting this project theater watch yeah
1: and i've I used uh e-bird since 2017 i've been logging birds that i see in my travels and camping nice and that keeps the log so it's like a journal oh yeah it's a nice <laughs> journal oh, okay yeah. that's very cool yeah so it tells me how many species i've identified and total as well as i can go back to that day oh that that's nice and um look to see, oh yeah i remember that
0: Oh, that's great. That's good for the birders yeah. too, because a lot of you want to go back to the same spot and see the same yeah. kinds of birds. Yeah. All right. So Cheryl's going to tell us a little bit about how Feeder Watch began.
1: All right. So Project Feeder Watch um, started actually in Ontario, Canada, in the mid 1970s. So Birds for um, Birds of Canada is like their um, Audubon Society. Mm. And so for 10 years, it was very successful in monitoring the large-scale movements of birds in and around Canada. In about uh, 1987 to 88, the organizers realized that in order to get a more expansive survey of birds in North America, because, you know, Canada gets re- or used to get really cold. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they a lot of their birds leave and they're going, huh, you know, they're watching the influx of population. And so they thought maybe they needed to... Um, They could better assess what was happening in their country if they had some help. So they reached out to Cornell Labs because they needed a strong partner and asked if Cornell Labs wanted to be a part of the program. So in the beginning, all of this was done by mail and hand counts on paper until technology caught up.
0: Oh, the days of snail mail. Yes, yes,
1: (laughs) (laughs) which actually to me, when they states that they were doing large-scale monitoring and they had a, a certain amount of accuracy that just and everything's being done by hand and mail counts that uh and through the mail and hand counts that just sounds even more um amazing yeah and detailed and um anyway I was just and like, this wow. was
0: just to throw in there this was mostly done by volunteers yes these are not no, people that yes. are paid these are volunteers yes.
1: Absolutely. And that's even being, to recruit them is being done um, not through social media necessarily. Yeah, that it's was, being done through meetings, people yeah. talking to each other, calling, hey, you did it last year, do you want to do it this year? So Project Feeder Watch, so in the beginning, yes, like I said, it was all done by mail, but Project Feeder Watch has grown with the cooperation of both Birds of Canada and Cornell Labs to now, as of last year, over 20,000 participants. The project continues to be a cooperative research project that has proven to be a very important tool for monitoring the distribution and abundance of winter bird populations. And as birds face more and more uncertainty in um, their travels, that's really important. So Cornell Labs um, also has several other projects. If you wanted to check out their website, throughout the year that anyone is able to participate in as well. And one of them is for children, which I thought was really cool. Um, It's called Celebrate Urban Birds. It's a bilingual, so it's Spanish as well as English, Nice. and it's information and it's free. And I actually sent away for a kit, even though I don't have any little kids anymore. Um, You can request a kit to help with identification of birds. Um, they are looking, that they're looking for. So they're looking to for looking for birds like killdeer. Mm, mm-hmm. They're actually tracking pigeons. They are actually tracking mallard ducks, oh. Canada geese, um, house sparrow, the starling. There were a few that I was surprised about, which right now um, I'm, not, I'm not bringing to the forefront of my uh, memory. But um, So it's interesting even to look at the birds that they're looking to identify. You can then put the infer information into eBird or you can mail it and actually with children they would prefer that the child actually write down the they give them you it's like um a fill out sheet so they have the bird you the child writes like a little two-line um how many mallard ducks they saw whether they were males and males or females if they can identify that and actually where and uh, you can mail it in. Um, There's Nest Watch, which is a website devoted to bird houses for specific birds, how to build the houses, the care of them, the place of them. Now, if you want to be a part of Nest Watch where you're monitoring a nest, you do have to go online and answer a few questions and they will certify you. And then then I think there's a little more um, requirement to it because...
0: Then you have the, to have yes. your camera right. put up in there, and they right. tell you how to do it specifically, specifically so it doesn't disturb yes. the nest and everything. But it, oh. I mean, if you're into that kind of tedious well, work um, and and you have to do everything just right, and you really like to use your technology, this is a cool one. To I do. know
1: that it's done with bluebirds. Yes, I know definitely it's done with the eastern Mar- bluebird, mm-hmm. purple martins, and I know that up in um, the Wisconsin area. It's done with uh, kestrels. Yes. And also they have monitoring of ospreys um, along the East Coast. Yes. So I do. And I know that. It takes a lot of dedication and it's all volunteer. So it's all citizen science. Yes. Yes.
0: And I know when we were actually, when I was living on the East Coast, I was interested in Nest Watch. And one of the things that they are interested in, Cornell, is different birds that you may see in your area as well. Uh, Especially out in the Southwest. Uh, Here in the Southwest, they have not as much information as from the East Coast. So um, with Nest Watch, they don't have things like um, the Verdon and thrashers and... uh, I'm sorry, um, Woodpeckers, just left my head there for Hula. a minute, Woodpeckers, just the Gila Woodpeckers and the Gilded Flickers, uh, if you do something like that and you have a nest box that you can manipulate with that little camera in there, then that's information that Cornell would be really interested in. Yeah. So if you well, like they that. They don't have it. Yes, they don't have it. And so if that's something that interests you and you really are into that technology, definitely look into Nest Watch, get yourself certified through Cornell before you do it, and they give you step-by-step on on what you need to do. Yeah.
1: All right, Kirsten.
0: All right, so looking at the Christmas bird count, you probably heard us say that, and some of you were like, Christmas bird count? What exactly is that? Well, the Christmas bird count was actually started by the National Audubon Society. So prior to the turn of the 20th century, hunters engaged in a holiday tradition known as the Christmas side hunt, and they would choose sides and go to a field with their guns, and whoever brought in the biggest pile of feathered and furred quarry won. That certainly does not sound super exciting to you now. <laughs> But, thank goodness, somebody else had another idea. So, the beginning Christmas Day in 1900, ornithologist Frank M. Chapman, who was an early officer of the new Audubon Society, proposed a new holiday tradition. I like this one. Mm -hmm. A Christmas bird count or census. So, Mr. Chapman was concerned about the low populations of birds he was seeing in his own neighborhoods and thought it would be a good idea to monitor the decline. So, that just...
1: In 1900, they were concerned about low bird populations.
0: Yes. So, the first Christmas bird count began. The first count had 27 dedicated birders. 25 bird counts were held that day in the U.S. and in Canada. And these birds, sorry, these birders tallied 90 different species. That's not bad for just no. 27 people. And
1: again, they don't have... um the technology that we do today. So that means they're doing it all by level. They had riding. binoculars yes. and they had
0: a pencil and paper. Yes.
1: <laughs> and they and um, to get everyone together they had to do it by either mail. Yep. Or you know, some other means some of some communication. other communication, yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah.
0: So this year, the one hundred and twenty second Christmas bird count starts on December fourteenth, twenty twenty one and goes until January fifth, twenty twenty two. So you now you must sign up with National Audubon Society online, and when you sign up, you'll receive information to help you with arranging to participate with the compilers in your area. They also have information about this on Cornell Labs as well. They talk about the Christmas bird count a lot as well. So you can, if you're doing your project feeder watch, they'll have information about that yes. as well, where to go.
1: So, because they share information. They do share information. This is like the Christmas Bird Count is the oldest citizen science project, and it's still ongoing. Yeah. Research project. And so it's I, a ton of fun. It is. <laughs> I did it once last, last, not last year, the year before, 2019, and we had really um, unpredictable weather. So, I actually counted birds in the rain. <laughs> Which is amazing, because we're in the southwest. <laughs> and I actually counted birds in the snow, because there was... As uh, Kirsten was mentioning, there were, there's fewer groups out here in the Southwest. So yeah. if I wanted to participate and because I was a, a first timer, they, yeah, they want
0: you to be with someone. They want
1: me. Yes. They want you to be with someone. And um, and so I had to go where the experienced people were, right, and which happened to be more um, north and west, north up to the rim if anyone's familiar with the White Mountains, and then I had to go west out to like uh, Wickenburg, Ah. which was in the rain. right? (laughs) But they have compilers. So they have people who have been doing this for years and years and years and understand, you know, they're like expert birders. Yeah. And they compile the information. And then I was out with um, amazing people who which I thought was cool with the Christmas bird count. It's not only sight, but it's sound. So you don't have to see the bird. Yeah. You can hear it. And um, my eyes are a whole lot better than my ears when it comes to birds right now. But um, it was amazing that they could they could hear, they could differentiate. Yeah. If three birds were singing at once, they could differentiate between the three birds. Yeah. When I
0: was doing my ornithology class in on on. The east coast it was actually in georgia at the time i got real good at it and so i'm actually good at differentiating the east coast birds because that's what i learned in my ornithology class but here out in the southwest i'm struggling i'm struggling to get there i've been here for three years now and i'm like i can pick out a brown thrasher or no not a brown thrasher the curved billed thrasher the cactus wren And and then gambles quail, and after that I'm like "Mm, that was who, what was that? Mm." And so I'm excited that I have three down. But uh, that it's very very cool to be with people who can listen. They don't have to even hear the bird. They know exactly what it is. It's really interesting. No, because
1: they're looking in one direction with their binoculars, and then all of a sudden they go, their head tilts, and they go, I hear that. Yeah. So and one. of those birders told me, she says, um, once you see a bird sing its song, yeah, then you connect it visually with your audio, auto, autoly with your ears and with yes. your eyes. And then you will always be able to re recall that song. So you'll be able to identify it without seeing
0: it. Yeah. It's and, really cool.
1: So I'm like, it like imprints on your brain. So yes. I, anyway, it was great. All right, so we're going to go on to the Great Backyard Bird Count, which is something that um, it's a bird count, actually, that uh, uh, Wild Birds Unlimited supports. And so we promote this and um, the Great Backyard Bird Count or the GBBC, as it's fondly referred to, was started in 1998 by Cornell Labs and the Audubon Society. And um, the Great Backyard Bird Camp was the first online citizen science project to collect data on wild birds and to display the results in real time. So Birds of Canada joined in 2009. And the great, um, in 2013, the Great Backyard Bird Camp became a global project because data um, can be entered um, through eBird, it is the largest, the world's largest biodiversity related citizen science project. So we should give ourselves that. That's a,
0: pretty cool, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's pretty neat. A pat on the back. Um, how do you join? What you say? What is, what, well, what is this actually? Well, I'm going to tell you what the GBBC is. Well, between February 18th and the 21st of 2022. So that's like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, yeah, Monday. I it's believe. a quick one. Yes. Those who want to part- to be a participant, pick a time during the day. And it can be those four days or it can just be one day. Yeah. Where you sit and you count the birds in your backyard. And all they ask is that the time limit be, long- be 15 minutes or longer.
0: That's not bad. That's, That's your morning bad. cup so, of coffee.
1: Yes, yeah, so I was just going to make that suggestion. <laughs> so you count the birds, like I said, just one day or all four days. You do not have to see the bird to count it. If you're good with your audio you can hear the bird and you can and you can identify it you can write it down Um, if you do not have a backyard you can take your coffee to the local park or hiking uh, nature hiking trail Um, you take your compiled information and you enter it into cornell labs by the end of the what is it the 21st of, of february on 2022. they take all that information and they do amazing things, and Kirsten's going to tell us what they do with that information. Yes. I know it helps.
0: Right. One of You probably guys are all thinking, what exactly does all this bird counting do for us and do for the birds? So the data collected by observers allows researchers, conservation biologists, wildlife agencies, and others interested individuals to study the long-term health and status of bird populations across North America. These surveys provide a picture of how our continent's bird populations and how global bird populations have changed in time and space over the years. This actually allows us, uh, gives us a long-term perspective um, which is extremely vital for conservationists so that we can design strategies to protect the birds and the habitats that they need and to help identify environmental issues with implications for people as well. And it's just, Amazing what they have done and what they have learned with all of this information. So we certainly encourage you guys to do it, especially those of you who are listening to us in the Southwest. They are low on information from this area. So definitely hop to it. Uh, This podcast will hopefully be reaching you just before this year's uh, 2021 start date, which is November 13th. But if you're listening to us at a different time, a year from now maybe, uh, just go on the Cornell website. You can go to www.birds.cornell.edu. Or if you want to go straight to Project Feeder Watch, it's projectfeederwatch.org. And it will tell you the dates. It will tell you how to sign up. And you'll get started.
1: Yes. And just remember, especially in the Southwest, one person can make a difference. Absolutely.